Radio, WGNS, putting the power of your free speech into action on air and online at WGNSRadio.com. WGNS Murfreesboro, W270AF Murfreesboro, W263AI Murfreesboro, Smyrna, The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now your host, Scott Walker. News time right now, 8.20. You're tuned to WGNS on this Tuesday morning today, the first day of February. And in studio with us this morning, we have guest or a guest from the Rutherford County Election Commission, and that is Election Administrator Alan Farley. How are you this morning? Good morning, Scott. How are you today? I am doing good. Well, as February hits, what are folks preparing for as far as elections, you know, as far as getting to make sure their name's on that list if they want to be elected versus, uh, you know, when can we first vote? And how many elections are we looking at this year? Well, this is kind of a busy season for us. Uh, of course, we have the candidate qualifying period that's uh, ongoing right now for our May uh, Republican and Democratic primaries. And we also are completing the uh, final touches of the um, state, uh, House, and Senate and congressional redistricting. And so putting all that information into our database and making sure we get people uh, district in, in the right place is, is very important. And then we also um, have candidate financial disclosures that are coming in. Then we also are preparing for the May May 3rd primary. So um, so it's very busy. And, and so for candidates, anybody who's looking to run for office, and of course, this election year, of course, our May and then our August election, this is our eight-year ballot. This is our long, longest ballot that we we have because every eight years you have all the judicial, you have um, all of the judicial retention. Um, we have um, all the county commissioners, uh, and, um, and half the school board. So it's a it's you know it's a long ballot. So there's right now I think we've got um, 85, 88 total candidates, and of course we still have till noon on February the seventeenth. Uh, to qualify for offices that are on the ballot, uh, on the May 3rd ballot. Which, one new thing that's kind of changed, and want to make sure that especially our incumbent school board members know, um, the time frame for them to qualify uh, to to run for re-election or anybody who else is interested in running for the uh, Rutherford County or the Murfreesboro uh, City School Board is they need to, the qualifying period is now, so they need to go ahead and contact our office and get their qualifying petition and get that turned in prior to noon on February 17th. Now, I know there were some changes that were done over the past year that would go into effect, of course, this year. And one of those changes dealt with school board members announcing which political party they wanted to be affiliated with. Uh, But it was kind of confusing because the way it sounded, it almost sounded like, some counties could choose to go forward with this. Some counties may choose not to go forward with this. How how does all that work as far as school board candidates naming a political party when they run, or is that something that we're going to face in Rutherford County? <clears throat> well, that that is true. Now, of course, most a lot of laws that's passed by the General Assembly is permissive to where 
uh, <clears throat> you're not required to do, especially uh, in elections, because in, in most cases, there's only 65 counties in the state out of 95 that are actually holding uh primaries for the school board uh, races now in some instances you have some smaller counties that they don't have a primary they have an august election in which everybody just runs as an independent so they don't have a, a primary or they may have what they call a caucus to where the political parties come together and then they caucus and then they they pick their candidates and then they run in the august election so uh so there's a couple of different ways that they can uh conduct that but so so by the the law the way it was written was no different than than the way law currently was because you know for for many years um Rutherford county didn't have a republican primary until 2006 or 2008 as far as the county level uh, consistently so um so so uh you know, I don't think Cannon County, Cannon County, which is part of our judicial district, they typically don't have a uh, a party primary in, in May, and so. But now, because of all the judicial candidates, they, they're they're required to have one because of, of our candidates from Rutherford County that are in this judicial district that we share with Cannon County. So, long story short, it, it sounds like those running for school board don't have to announce. They are Republican. They are Democrat or, or independent. They don't right. have to do that. Right. Of course, the uh, the Republican Party chose to um, call for a primary. Uh, the Democratic uh, Party um, had called for a primary for other offices, but they opted not to include uh, the school board. Uh, and then so the only options that candidates have, they can run as a Republican or an independent. Those are the only two options. Uh, that that they would have because of the Democratic Party not uh, not calling for that. So, um, so and that's something that we will actually walk walk through with with the candidates because the primary candidates will run in the May election. Independent candidates will run in the August election. So, by running as an independent, they won't have to be on the ballot. Uh, and and kind of move through that process you know in a lot of industries nationwide uh, certain groups uh, you know for example if you're a car dealer or if you are uh, in the business of real estate you'll have annual conventions where heads of companies will get together and toss ideas around find out you know what's working better in this area versus that area in elections in that election process do election administrators ever come together at an annual convention to kind of find out you know things that are working here that may work great for someone else in another county or state yes um we do scott i mean we have what we we have an association that's called uh Takio, which is uh tennessee association of county election officials and we meet uh each year in june but for the last couple of years we've had to meet virtually which we're required as administrators to we we must attend because we we are uh certified through the state so we have to go through a long process uh, and, and, t- and take what's equivalent to the election bar exam um, in order to be in the jobs that we have, and which is very you know which is a very tough test. So because uh, you know it took me it took everybody four maximum four hours, which is allowed, in order to take that uh, exam back um, when I first started. But you have to go to this annual meeting 
or be a part of this and to maintain your certification because it's a it's a law seminar so uh so we do get together uh you know the vote center concept was something that we created here um, which modeled in uh, in rutherford county and then passed uh, statewide for other counties so going and kind of sharing our expense experience with that uh working with other administrators and, and of course we're always in t- contact with one another about various things just to try to pick up you know something here or there that, that somebody may have experienced and by the way for anybody listening if you have a question that you'd like to ask in regards to elections in rutherford county feel free to text us at 615-893-1450 again text us your questions 615-893-1450 and with us in studio this morning rutherford county election administrator alan farley you know your job has got to be one during certain times of the year it's a lot more stressful than what the average joe does every day i mean it's kind of like you're a referee at an nfl football game in some in some cases it it, it truly is i mean it's one of those situations to where our my main goal and our staff's main goal and our commission i mean we we have i work for five uh, commissioners that are appointed by uh, both political parties and our mission is making sure that ballot integrity is the most important aspect of what we do uh, election integrity is is very important and so uh you know we're always looking trying to make sure that we you know stay one step ahead you know cybersecurity is a, is very important uh so we're always um very vigilant in making sure that kind of looking at things that we can uh, do to enhance uh to protect uh you know the you know the ballot and also the integrity of, of each election one of, one of the uh, text questions we just got says what is the last day that you're able to register if you actually want to vote in the upcoming elections. Okay, in Tennessee, you um, you required to register to vote 30 days prior to an election, which typically, which really means 10 days because in Tennessee we have a 20 day, uh, 20 days before election day we start early voting. So, uh, so 30 days prior to election. So I believe the um, last day to register for the May primary will be April the 4th, um, and I think that falls um, on, on a Monday, so it makes that available uh, then. So, uh, But it's always 30 days prior to uh, Election Day. And all of this information is available on the Rutherford County Election website, and we'll, we'll post it with this podcast as well. But April 4th, last day to register for the uh, May 3rd elections, which really are just around the corner. seems like this year's already flying by, doesn't it? Yeah, we started <laughs> December for this May election. Another, well, this is just a statement that somebody texted. It says, the office is very friendly and very helpful. Great job, Alan Farley and staff. So well, thank you. We appreciate that. There. Uh, you know, it, it has been a different couple of years because of covid for sure. And the pandemic has changed a lot for how a lot of companies operate and for how a lot of local government offices operate. But when it comes to that election process, day of voting, early voting, what's going to be the same? What's going to be different for those who are coming out to vote because of this whole pandemic? Well, in 2020, um, I was privileged to be part of a group to try to make sure uh, or to develop a plan to keep our, our poll workers safe and also keep voters safe. 
And one of the things that uh, came out of that was that we, we developed about an 85-page plan. And because we knew that the, the pandemic was um, unknown. We really didn't know what to expect. So we, we put forth a lot of effort and time to make sure. And we did not have any issues here in Rutherford County or anywhere in the state. But I think looking at 2022, uh, we've learned a lot over the last, uh, you know, 22, 20, you know, 21 months uh, since this pandemic since it started. And we're going to make sure that our voters are safe. We're going to make sure that, um, you know, we have ample room uh, at all of our voting locations. And also we've got machines. It, our, our goal is to try to move people as quickly through. And this is with the pandemic or, or not. We want to move people through as quickly as possible, make it as as, as uh, convenient as possible. So with 20 days of early voting, with vote centers where voters can vote in any location uh, in the county, and then also, too, you have uh, you know by-mail voting, which one thing I want to make clear is uh, tomorrow is the first day to request a ballot by mail for the May 3rd primary. 90 days prior to an election in the state of Tennessee, you can request a absentee by mail ballot. And there are certain requirements that you do have to meet. Uh, of course, being 60 years old or over uh, is, 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 uh, makes you eligible too. So uh, that's something I think that, that some of our voters in, in 2020 took advantage of because we increased from a you know, normal uh, number of absentees were around 1,800 to over uh, 8,300 total uh, absentee ballots that were cast in the November 2020 election. So I think you're going to see some people who will who will take that approach by mail, uh, meet those um, um, restrictions. But then I think people realize, too, we voted the highest number. We voted a record number of people in the middle of a global pandemic. We voted 144,677 voters in uh, November 2020, which 83% of those people voted early, which is fun, I mean, astronomical. And so uh, I, I think that it's really provided us an opportunity to make sure that we keep our poll workers safe and our voters safe, but also, too, um, our voters are learning the various different means that they can, that they can vote. I guess one of the bigger news stories that we have kept hearing about over and over again over the last few months was this whole redistricting and new maps coming out. And uh, I guess, first of all, are we going to see a lot of change in the different districts in Rutherford County and in Cannon County? Well, and 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 uh, the county reapportionment, because really we have two portions. We have the, 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 the local, the county portion. Uh, and then we have the state portion, which is the part with um, the state house and state senate and congressional. So I'll, I'll start first with our county reapportionment, which is our county commission districts. And so um, each each of our districts uh, had to grow by over 4,500 um, voters um, over the our residents over uh, 20 in the 2010 census. And so we we had extensive growth. Uh, over that 10-year period, majority of our growth was in the southwest portion uh, of the city and county. So we had to kind of move uh, population, shift it from west to east uh, to make sure that we could make sure we get one person, one vote uh, as far as 
the um, eastern part of the county did not grow as fast. So um, we completed that. The county commission approved uh, that map uh, the uh, in October. And so that map is actually uh, posted on our website at um, election.rutherfordcountytn.gov. And so we have got um, everybody that will be running in district races uh, in the 2022 election in May and in August will be running under those new lines. And then the state portion, which was just completed, uh, the legislature just um, passed those uh, uh, redistricting bills last uh, week, and the governor uh, has yet to sign them, so he would be likely signing those any day. Big difference there is we picked up a new house district. So uh, the average house district averages around 72, 75,000 people. So we're able to pick up a complete house district over the 2010 census, which basically if you look from 90 to 2000, 2010, that cycle we have basically gained a house seat every 10 years. So we, um, the southwest portion or, and the uh, northern uh, west portion uh, of the county now has District 13, which the district um, starts in Laverne and has a portion of Laverne, comes down the western border of Rutherford and Williamson County uh, into the uh, blackman Amelville area and all the way down in, into Highway 99 and goes um, uh, southwest um, toward uh, Eagleville, and it's, it splits Eagleville. So so really our growth area that we've really had the enormous amount of growth is where the new House district uh, is. So, so our Senate districts uh, have shifted a little bit. Senator Reeves um, had a five-county district, which – uh, was part of, a part of the district was um, Lincoln and Marshall, which he lost that, uh, and he's taken in a larger portion of Rutherford County, and so um, so there was a there was some shift there uh, with uh, Senate District 14 taking in a, a larger portion of Rutherford County. So this District 13 that's going to include sounds like communities Eagleville will include some of Blackman, uh, right? I, I mean what. Eagleville, Blackman, and, and then as far out as where on the opposite side of Blackman. It will. It will. Um, just kind of <clears throat> trying to pull this from memory, but you know, it, it highway um, highway forty one in Eagleville. It goes up highway ninety nine uh, up to um, Puckett Creek, I believe, and it goes up and encompasses a part of um, uh, the Blackman area, and then it comes over to the Blackman Road. Um, Bass Road area goes over to one mile. Part of one mile lane um, is in um, the new district, and part of that is in Representative Sparks district. And then it will, and then it goes over up to Independence Hill, uh, the Amelville area, and then kind of goes up um, um, Waldron Road up into Laverne, and then it goes over uh, to the uh, tip of Smyrna over by the lake. Uh, and so that that that's kind of the um, quick you know yeah yeah um, so you're that's hitting a lot of areas i mean yeah, that's right is. there on the line or getting close to marshall county but more so it sounds like williamson county and then close to wilson county out there towards percy priest lake so i mean you're you're getting a lot of areas there right and, and it, it, it moves north to south in which um and of course district 48 uh, which is representative terry's district you know it, it it borders wilson county and it borders um cannon county and and and, and coffee county because it's pretty much the eastern part of uh, of the county and then it runs north to south and then uh, representative bomb 
runs pretty much from northwest to southwest, uh, comes into the city of Murfreesboro. Uh, Representative Rudd goes in from the middle of Murfreesboro, and it runs you know, um, uh, northeast to um, southwest. Uh, so it, you know those districts, you know, to, to get seventy-five thousand or so people in each district, you know, it it would take it would take a, a bit of a um, bit of bit of um, land there, land mass, because like District Forty-Eight is pretty much a large portion of Highway Two Thirty-One North and South East, um, because that area there is not as populated like uh, the western part of the the city and county is. So with Rutherford County having this uh, new house district, it, it's called District 13, I guess. That's the area, right? Correct. Uh, so with this new seat that's going to be available, have you already had a lot of names submit saying, you know, I'm going to run for this seat? Well, the, um, the first day to pick up petitions for our House and Senate races um, will be uh, February the 7th. So we're we're just about six days away from, from that. So I know there's been some candidates that have kind of been – uh, our potential candidates that have been kind of inquiring, uh, trying to, uh, I guess, dip their toe in the water to see how how warm the water is, um, uh, and doing so with, um, with that. And so, but I'm sure on February the seventh uh, at eight a.m., eight thirty, we'll probably see the ones that are real serious because they'll be sitting there waiting for us to open the door for them to get their papers. So that'll be the first day that they can submit their names and you know put in the paperwork to run for that new seat yes sir and so what they'll do is they'll they'll come in and to uh get their qualifying uh petitions and then what they'll have to do is go out and get 25 signatures of registered registered voters in that district uh and then once they do that then uh, most of them they'll get 40 or 50 to make sure that they do get 25 uh, then they'll bring them back to our office. We'll go through, and then we will um, uh, verify that, that they, you know, they met that qualification. And then at that point, they will have qualified and, and be on the ballot. So legally speaking, uh, under all the different political guidelines and rules and everything, can somebody announce before they actually register and sign up to be in the election, can they announce, you know, I'm going to run for whatever office that may be, and start you know sending out news releases and and speaking oh, absolutely. to folks absolutely i mean you know we you know, of course the the time frame that that we have just for this process i mean if if we didn't have a limit to when you could pick up uh your qualifying papers and and um you know 60 days prior to the qualifying deadline uh used to it was 90 days well back i remember back in the 90s you you could go ahead and pick up qualifying papers you know, eight months beforehand. Of course, people are already working. Now, <clears throat> you can go ahead and announce I'm running and start raising money, uh, file your appointment of political treasurer, and do that, and and not even have qualified for the race yet, because you're just waiting for that time to to occur. So, but people don't want to waste let those days go by in order to make sure that they're out there, you know, campaigning because there's some. You know, it's a large it's a large area, so uh, trying to meet a lot of people. And so, uh, yeah, so you can actually, uh, now what was unique about this, this was nobody really knew where the district was going to fall. So, um, you know, so some people who kind of said, well, I'm, I'm running, well, didn't really know where the lines were. They were just kind of hoping to be in, in there, um, or they may have made plans to move, you know, depending on where those lines were. So, so yeah, so that, that is, that's very, very highly, it's, it's, it's likely and it's, and it's done a lot of times. You know, it's wild. When you look at politics, some folks are are so deeply invested in their community in in ways that they want to actually get involved into politics. 
they'll actually make a move, you know, buy a house in a in a different district if they think they have a better chance of winning. But that's how passionate some folks are about not only the election process, but about being in politics to make a difference in their community. They, they do. And, of course, some people really want to serve. Um, and so, you know, they, they look at the best possibilities um, uh, where they you know, where they can serve and and uh, you know that's part of the strategic part of of, of 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 service i guess you could say do you have to live in that district for a certain period of time before you can qualify to run for a seat in that district you know there's some you know there's some um, residency requirements for some offices uh it's different depending on what um uh, what race you're running for you know, like in Murfreesboro, you have to be a resident for, this, for a year before you can uh, run uh, for uh, elective office. And, you know, the school board um, has has a requirement for an age requirement. And a lot of uh, um, offices do have an age requirement uh, to be able to run. So uh, now congressionally, it, the congressional elections is the only office in the, the state that you do not have to reside in the district in which you represent. You just have to huh. live in the state. And that's based off of the um, uh, the, con- the state constitution. And I guess that's one reason for it, because a lot of those who are in Congress, they'll live in you know Tennessee, but they really reside for the most part in Washington D.C. You know throughout their term, uh, which which adds a little bit of confusion, I think, to it. Yeah, I think sometimes when that happens, <laughs> the person loses connection with. You know the district loses connection with you know the the residents and the voters and such and so uh, you know but a lot of times I know most of ours and I'm Tennessee congressional delegation you know they they serve and come back they're back and forth back and forth uh, because that's a tough job when you you know you fly up out you fly out of the district on Monday you know you, you in, in meetings and, and and Tuesday Wednesday Thursday fly back uh, out of DC on Thursday be back in the district. You know, because you know they 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 run every two years, so I mean it's like they're constantly they're constantly campaigning. So, uh, but now you do have some that have been up there for you know twenty five, thirty, forty years. Um, you know they they've become part of the um, you know I guess the DC establishment, and they have a residency, and 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 the incumbency um, rate is so high in reelection that you know you know I guess they do kind of don't come back to their state um in, in you know in various districts throughout the country and those congressional seats i mean those are i mean it's pretty much a full-time job when oh, you yes. talk about congress yes you know? it, it is it so is. it's it's quite different from let's say a county commission race uh, or city council race quite different for sure well i'll tell you I'm, some county commissioners will tell you that this county commission uh, uh, um, seats that they run uh, serve in are full-time you know, bet, jobs yeah. too because you know they're they're always getting calls about various things especially some of your um commissioners outside of the, the municipalities because you know whether it be trash whether it be um you know um, um roads um various different you know services that the county officers uh i mean that's their that's the person that they that gets the calls and and uh, but that's just part of public service and as we continue continue to grow which we're going to do uh it's going to become even more hectic I, I would guess yes sir it is again with us this morning rutherford county election administrator alan farley and when we come back we'll get to some of these questions that were asked here Uh, I'll I'll go ahead and read one, and then we'll get to the answer when we come back. But the question was, if the state legislature were to pass some sort of law requiring a receipt 
that shows you voted. Uh, what would that do to your staff and the current voting machines in Rutherford County? And would we have to get new machines? And how much would something like that cost? And I, I guess that's the first time I've really heard anyone really ask, well, what if the voting machines printed out some type of receipt? So let's touch base on that maybe when we come back. Right now the time, 8.48. We're going to pause to take a look at the weather, the traffic, and we will be right back right after this. Again, the time right now, 8.48. You're listening to WGNS. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. It's so important that we recognize our veterans, shake their hands and say how proud we are of the service that they have given to our country and that we thank them for that. I am Becky Bookner and we salute our veterans. We'll see mostly sunny skies this afternoon, high in the mid-60s. Winds out of the south around 10 to 15 miles per hour and at times gusting as high as 20. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 30. Chuck Gandy with Gandy Seafood Company. This Valentine's Day, cook something special for your sweetheart, like stuffed lobster tail, bacon wrap, bourbon glaze, sea scallops, jumbo lump crab cakes, grouper or red snapper imperial. Gandy Seafood Cajun Market. Make this Valentine's Day extra special. Memorial Boulevard, across from Sportscom. WGNS proudly salutes and remembers our U.S. veterans who have served our country. We're talking with retired U.S. Army Master Sergeant Patrick Garland. I spent 17 years in the military police corps. I wound up in forensic sciences. He's learned from the who's who in forensic science. I worked with Dr. Pierre Fink, and he was one of the pathologists who assisted in the autopsy of President Kennedy. I worked with the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology. I studied gunshot wounds, and I was asked to examine the ball that was removed from President Lincoln's head and identify it as being the proper one. And I had to go to Ford Theater and look through all the medical reports. Another case was much closer to home. A grave had been tampered with in Franklin, and part of her body was found, and it was sent to Dr. Bass in Knoxville. His assumption at the beginning of the investigation was that this was a fresh body, and it turned out he was killed in the Battle of Franklin back in the Civil War. And he had been embalmed with arsenic at the time, and that was a good preservative. Dr. Bass said that he made a mistake by about 100 years on it. A different veteran story from retired U.S. Army Master Sergeant Patrick Garland. If you know a veteran you'd like to highlight, let WGNS know, and we'll honor them in our daily salute to veterans. Restoration One of Middle Tennessee. A team of experts and immediate responders who help homeowners after disaster strikes. After disaster strikes. Fire, water, or storm damage. We can help you get your life back to normal quickly. Restoration One Middle Tennessee.com. Locally and veteran. Hi, this is Gator with Tire World Off-Road. We're your local rough country dealer. So when you're ready to add some character to your rig, ask for Gator at Tire World Off-Road on Memorial Boulevard. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Online at tireworld.us. Good morning. It's busy, but it's moving on. 24 westbound. You head up through the Hickory Hollow area towards Nashville. A little bit of radar out here in certain places up and down. 24 coming in from Coffee County. Make sure you slow it down, especially around Epps Mill Road. Gatlinburg Wine Cellar, home of the world-famous cotton candy wine. Check out all their flavors today at GatlinburgWineCellar.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. 
The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Time right now, 8.52. You're tuned to WGNS again on this Tuesday morning, today the 1st of February. And one of the questions we had texted in right before that break was, if the state legislature were to pass some sort of law requiring a receipt that shows that you voted and who you voted for, what would that do to your staff and the current voting machines in Rutherford County? And would you have to get new voting machines? Great question. I appreciate that question being um, sent in because that is something that's being talked about. Uh, I'm a strong proponent for um, uh, moving to a system that has a verified paper audit trail. Uh, now, one one thing that I, that I do take issue with this question is is that they're saying issue a receipt, and some people want a receipt to take with them out of the polling location. Um, I do have issue with that because you know um, some of our we hear some of our family members and parents and grandparents and I was talking back in the day when you know you could go cast your vote in private but then you walk around the back and then you pick up your pint of whiskey and you go on that's just that's based off of good faith that, that you did what you said you would do one of the things I don't like about having your you've got documented proof okay so does that pint of whiskey become a $50 bill, a $100 bill. So what you're doing is is that you've got evidence of, of your vote confirmed. So what you're doing is, is is people that are wanting to do something bad, well, I mean, you're paying for a sure thing there. Yeah. So what I what I like about the verified paper audit trail is, is is that you do have the paper backup. So that way if the machine the machine records the way it's it's supposed to then we come back and we conduct an audit which we we do an audit every election and that's part of the certification process so then that way you go back and then you uh, do random audits of various machines and then you go so okay here's what the machines recorded here's what we have showing based off of the, the the votes that are on paper that are backed up on paper but they stay with the machine so in other words if this were done People would be walking out of there with a receipt saying, I voted for whoever it may be in whatever district, and they'd have that in hand, right? probably with their name on it as well. And they would, I mean, I guess it could open up the gateway for people selling that piece of paper saying, hey, I voted for you. You told me 50 bucks for this. Right. And it's one of those situations, you know, there's there's millions of dollars in campaigns and elections. <laughs> so what you do is, is that you're advertising. You say, I tell you what, instead of spending you know, $10 million on a statewide campaign and advertising mail and different things, we're going to go ahead and we're only going to spend six. We're going to take this other four and, you know, reward our people uh, for, you know, showing us quote, their receipt that they verified that, that they that they voted for. So uh, not saying that that would happen, that could happen. And that's more of making sure that we safeguard the integrity of the election and also the ballot. So that could easily corrupt the integrity of, you know, those running, and I mean, it could change a lot if they had right. a paper and, receipt. Right, and uh, but 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 the paper but the paper backup that stays with the machine, right, and it's more from the standpoint of okay, it verifies uh, if you have a if you have equipment malfunction, if you have, you know, whatever. So that way, you do have that ability. We have a way to extract the information 
from the machine now. But that's your office only, not right? Correct. The correct. general public. But but what this would do is the machine that we're looking at and want to go to is they they could cast they could cast their vote. Then when they push confirm vote, then it would scroll on a, on a piece of paper on the machine and it would list the names. Say you, you're voting for five candidates, it would list every single name. And if Scott Walker was a candidate that they voted for, then your name would appear there. And so if it was the opponent's name there, then they know, okay, I hit the wrong button. I hit the button below or you know above or whatever. They go back and they change that. And then when they would confirm vote again, it would print out the all correct names. And then when the vote's cast, then that way, boom, it's locked in. But you've got the paper um, verification showing that, yes, this is what the machine recorded. Uh, and and doing doing that so that way you do have you do have both and then then that paper is something that you can reference back to in an audit or in a um, um, if you had to go back and, re- and recount the the paper ballots. Again with us this morning, Rutherford County Election Administrator Alan Farley. I'll get to some more text messages here. And by the way, for those listening, after we finish the show, we'll post it online as a podcast and we'll put links on that or directly under that podcast so that folks can also get answers from the actual Rutherford County Election Commission website. Uh, But this next question, uh, and I know we touched base on this earlier, it says, isn't there a residency requirement where you have to have lived in a district zone for so long, but how long is that? And I guess the, the question would be, and what races would that be for that you have to show that you've lived in that area for x amount of days or months or whatever most most on average the largest majority of them is a year you have to be a resident of of the county now so i could i could live in um barfield and then move uh and 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 then move to blackman and run in say district 20 versus district 7 but i've been a resident of the county for 54 years Mm -hmm. Okay, but now I've been a resident of that district. So the residency is from the standpoint of the county or the city, not necessarily the district in which which you're running in. Um, so, so you, but you couldn't be um, now in the municipality. They'll say, okay, well, you need to be a resident of Murfreesboro or a resident of Smyrna uh, for for a year. So you couldn't live in in um, in the unincorporated areas of the county for 54 years and then and only live in the city of Murfreesboro, Smyrna for three months and then run because their charter, which is separate, their elections are dictated by their charter, not state not um, um, state law in, in some instances with, with the requirement. So what you've got is is that you would have to wait and not be able to run until you've been a resident of that municipality for a year. Uh, we only have about 30 seconds left in the show. And again, Rutherford County Election Administrator Alan Farley with us. So as we close today, again, that next election that's coming up, the soonest election would be, I guess, the May 3rd election, right? Correct. May 3rd. May 3rd would be the Rutherford County Republican primary and Democratic primary and Murfreesboro City municipal elections, then followed by August 4th state and federal primary elections Rutherford County General Election and Murfreesboro City Municipal. And again, all this is going to, it's online now on the county's website, but you can find it all there because you also have the November races, state and federal general. Then you have Eagleville, Laverne, and Smyrna Municipal Election 
all November 8th. So that is a lot coming up. It's going to be a busy year. Definitely. Uh, again, Alan Farley with us this morning with the Rutherford County Election Commission. And once more, if you have any questions, definitely visit the county's website to learn more about the different elections that are coming up, how you can run, make sure you're registered to vote, and uh, everything else. That's right. We look forward to If you have questions, that's what we're there for, to be able to answer your questions. Time right now, 9 o'clock, you're tuned to WGNS Murfreesboro, local news, followed by CBS News, comes your way next. <laughs>